good morning again, everyone. My name is Tim, one of the pastors here at Brookside. Let me just add to what Rob already said with, with a big welcome to certainly all of you. Uh, love you if, if you're here, part of our church family, here week after week. Then also we know a lot of you are traveling in from out of town. So it's so great to have you join us in worshiping our Lord here today. Well, and it is such an exciting time in the life of our church here at Brookside. Here's just a few things I want to keep in front of us and just be grateful for how God is on the move in us and through our congregation. Last week, Brookside members voted with strong approval, right? 95% approval to purchase a building in Elkhorn for our second campus. And so, so now we're in this 30-day due diligence process is what it's called, where we're just running some, some inspections and doing our due diligence as we kind of just keep following God's lead through this whole process. So we're just hanging on for the ride to see how God continues to direct and lead. And we are excited to see what that looks like for, for really bringing another really healthy church and sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel in another part of the city. More great news is that two new staff are just getting ready to start here in early January. Mark Thangval, so many of you know the Thangvals and care for the Thangvals, respect the Thangvals. Mark is just getting ready to start in early January as the guy who's going to spearhead our local, national, and global efforts. So can't wait to get him officially on staff full-time. And then Jonathan Etherington is moving in from uh, eastern Iowa to give his full attention to our middle school ministries. So middle schoolers, get ready, right? It's going to be great to have someone here that's just, again, committed and devoted full-time to love and serve 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. So really excited for that. And then we certainly don't want to forget Christmas Eve services tomorrow, right? So keep inviting friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers to those services tomorrow. And then just one more thing. I know you just heard about our 365 Bible reading plan and the announcements, but, but let me just add my own voice to how much I'm looking forward to that and, and really how important this Bible reading plan now that we've been doing for a few years, how important this is. If you've been around Brookside for a while, you hear us talk a lot, at least we hope, about biblical authority, right? And so the way that takes shape on Sunday mornings is that we just keep opening up this book, right? We keep opening up the Bible and teaching from it. And so we're going to keep doing that. But what that means also as we, as we follow this value of biblical authority is we want to be the sort of people who aren't just doing this on Sundays. As important as that is, we want to help you become self-feeders so that way throughout the week you're opening up this book, studying and reading this book on your own. And so that's where, again, just grab one of these, take it home with you. Like Rob said, we're reading through the whole Bible is our goal in 2019, and hopefully this will be a resource that can serve that goal. And then on, the, uh, on one of the inside flaps, there's some explanatory stuff that just orients you to the framework and how we're approaching the reading plan, formatting, things like that. Check that out. But, but again, Brookside, we believe this book is God's word to us. And so one of, one of the single most important things we can do as we seek to find out who Jesus is, as we follow Jesus, is just to just, just keep in this book daily. And so, so, yeah, so excited about that. Well, Vince Lombardi, he is one of the most successful NFL coaches of all time. By the end of his coaching career, he had a 74% win rate, which is pretty amazing, by the way. I mean, he never suffered a losing season. He would lead the Green Bay Packers to three consecutive NFL championships in 1965, 66, and 67. And Lombardi started off with the Packers 
pretty much as successfully as he ended with the Packers. When he took the head coaching job for them in 1959, he immediately turned the program around from its worst season in history. They only won one game, and they lost 10. I mean, ouch, right? And then in his second year, he brought the team to the NFL championship game where they played the Philadelphia Eagles, and they almost had it. They just barely lost. From where they were just a couple of years prior, the, 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 the Packers were on the upswing. They were clearly trending up. The future was bright. But so, so after this narrow loss to the Eagles, how did, how did Vince Lombardi go into training camp the next year in 1961? I mean, what do you do with a, tre- with a team that is trending up? How do you keep them moving forward? I mean, just a few tweaks to the scheme. Did you focus only on the trick plays or the most complicated plays and spend all of your time perfecting those? Here's what Lombardi did when he walked into training camp in 1961. He walked into camp with a football in his hand. And here he's looking out at all these professional football players. He holds this football up, and he says these words that now so many of us know. He says, gentlemen, this is a football. Right? With a team that was so successful, that had so much to look forward to, he brought them back to the basics, back to the most fundamental bottom-line truths of football that he never wanted them to forget. His coverage of these fundamentals, they continued throughout that training camp. Every player reviewed how to block and how to tackle, right? The most basic building blocks of football. Nothing was too basic. They opened up the playbook, and they started from page one reviewing everything. And this review of the fundamentals, it made a huge difference. That year, the Packers stomped the New York Giants 37-0 to in the NFL championship. Well, Brookside today, I, I want to look at Luke 1. I, I want to hold it up for us. And I want to say, Brookside, this is Christmas. I want to review the fundamentals of Christmas, things that are so important that we never want to get too far away from them. Because when you peel away everything else that that's good and meaningful and worthwhile around this time of year, when you peel all of that away, we never want to get too far away from those, from those fundamental building blocks, from the basics, the bottom line of what Christmas is all about. And so maybe this is the first time you've heard Christmas approached the way that I'm going to approach it, where, where we just looked at these fundamental truths. I was talking to two Brookside guys just in the last couple weeks, and both of these Brookside guys work with people who didn't grow up in America. And, and so these international co-workers had zero idea of what Christmas is about. And so they actually approached these two Brookside guys that I was talking with to say, what's Christmas all about? What's the big deal? That may be some of you here this morning. Someone invited you here today, and you just want to know what Christmas is about. But because you just honestly don't really know. Listen in today as we look at Luke chapter 1, and by the time we're done, at the very least, you will have a bottom line understanding of what the story of Christmas really is about, who it centers on, and what it means for us. And then others of us, we are very familiar 
with the message of Christmas. I mean, you're like me. You've been following Jesus for a long time, and you've been coming to Christmas service for decades, right? I mean, so, so you know the passages in the Gospels that we keep coming back to. You've heard it before. We're, we're maybe a little bit like the professional football players that Vince Lombardi was talking to when he said, this is a football. We feel like we don't need the review. We feel like it's too basic, but we do need the review. This is never too basic for us. We, we, we never move past these fundamentals. We just drive down more deeply into them year after year, decade after decade. And so as we reflect on these fundamentals, as we make them part of who we are, we realize again and again that the coming of Jesus, the, the thing we celebrate at Christmas, it really is the best news ever. You see, Jesus coming proclaims hope and offers hope to everyone here. And you guys hear me say this all the time. I, I believe that's one of the distinctive ways followers of Jesus need to stand out in our world today. We need to stand out as people who are filled with hope. Christmas gives us hope. The, the message of Christmas, Jesus coming into the world is an exclamation point on God's love for every one of us here. And so maybe you're coming from a week, or maybe you're coming from a year, where, where you're more apt to, to question God's love for you than to, than to, than to feel it, right? You say, look, man, the, the things I've done, Tim, Christmas is an exclamation point to every one of us here of God's great sacrificial love for you. And so amidst all of the distractions and, and all the crazy activity that's just part of our lives this time of year, we need these fundamental truths to capture our attention and then just to help us approach Christmas the way we want to be approaching Christmas. Nobody wants to hurry through Christmas. Everybody just wants to approach Christmas with wonder and worship. That's where I want to take us today. And so let's go to Luke 1. We're going to start in verse 26. And while you're turning there with me, we'll, we'll throw this, uh, the verses up on the screen, but we always invite you to open up your Bibles or pull up your uh, Bible apps on your phone. Follow along with me. While you're turning there, here's the setup for the passage, right? So, so our story in Luke 1, it picks up right after an angel had appeared to this Israelite priest by the name of Zechariah. And, and, and this angel, Gabriel, tells Zechariah that Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, they're going to give birth to a son named John. So lots of names. But, but so, so there's this setup of God is moving again among his people. And, and this son that Zechariah and Elizabeth, Elizabeth are going to have, he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. So anticipation is building in this first chapter of Luke. And then now, with all that in mind, here's Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I'm going to read all the way through verse 56. And so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so Elizabeth, again, she's the one who's pregnant with who will be John the Baptist. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Mary, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That's one of those great statements in Scripture that's worth underlining. No word from God will ever fail. In verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, she answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Or, or another Bible translation, the English Standard Version, I love the way that it captures that statement. Let it be to me according to your word, Mary says. And then the angel left her. Verse 39, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where, they enter, or where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then Mary said in verse 46, My soul glorifies the Lord. So she just erupts in song and praise. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of a servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and returned home. And so, so there's three fundamental truths, bottom line truths, that, that just rise out of this passage today. We're going to look at each of them. We're going to look at the jaw-dropping identity of Jesus. We're going to look at the unexpected and upside-down ways that God works. And we're going to see that this passage offers us an invitation to respond. But let's start at the top, right? Let's look at how this passage shows us the jaw-dropping identity of who Jesus is. A couple of years ago, when the new Star Wars movies were coming out, uh, I went and saw The Force Awakens with our two oldest boys, Carson and Jade, and they were probably 9 and 10 or something like that at the time. And, and they were into everything Star Wars, which is chalk that up to success on my dad card, right? Proud dad moment, going to see Star Wars with my kids. So, so we watched the movie. The movie gets done. 
the, the lights in the theater are just starting to come back up. The credits are rolling. And, and I just look over at my two boys sitting right next to me to see, see what they thought. And, and our second son, Jaden, again, nine years old, whatever he was, he's sitting there just like mouth wide open in this great mixture of fascination, joy, and wonder. It was great. I mean, if you ask Jaden, he would have said the movie was jaw-dropping good. What we learn from the angel Gabriel about who Jesus really is, it should make our jaws drop in that same sort of fascination, joy, and wonder. Here's verses 31 to 33 again. Here's what Gabriel tells Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Everything about those verses is big. Everything about those verses should draw us in, should make us lean forward in our seats because this is who Jesus really is, fully is. These verses show us that Jesus, he's the promised Messiah. He's the one that people have been waiting for for hundreds and thousands of years. And now Gabriel says, and he's coming. Nine months and he'll be here. He is on his way. Jesus is God's promised king who would take what's wrong with the world and make it right. Matthew chapter 1, verse, verse 20, chapter 1, verse 21, let me say that right. Matthew 1, 21 says that this name Jesus, what it actually means is that God will save his people from their sins. So our, our most fundamental problem, that the sin that separates all of us from God, Jesus came to address our most fundamental problem of sin. And these verses show us that in Jesus, God keeps his promise. All those promises he made in the Old Testament, they weren't just empty words. God keeps his promises. And so if you ever need to be reminded of that, if you ever just need to, need, need to be reminded, God, are you going to do what you said you're going to do? The best example of God doing what he said he was going to do, confirming that he'll continue to do everything that he said he's going to do. The best example of that is Jesus, is the sending of Jesus just like he promised. And so what all this means is that Jesus' birth, the thing we celebrate at Christmas, it's not just some historical event where we can kind of hold out here at arm's length and examine at a distance, where we can't keep it safely away from us, right? When we see Jesus, we see that he's not just this cute baby in a manger. Jesus is the king. Jesus is reigning right now with a smile on my face. Jesus is someone we have to reckon with. When we see Jesus the way that he's shown to be in these verses, with all of the power, with all of the promise, with all of the goodness and the hope, you bet this should influence the way we think about Christmas. And so let's just let's get personal for a second. Questions for all of us, myself included. Right now, who, who do you say that Jesus is? Does the way you understand who Jesus is, does it line up with who we've discovered Jesus to be? 
as he's presented in Luke 1. Or just one more question. On top of whatever other great things you're doing over the next few days, what can you do to make sure that Jesus, his jaw-dropping identity, what can you make sure, what can you do to make sure that that doesn't get lost in the shuffle of everything else that's going on? What can you do to make sure that Jesus' jaw-dropping identity gets your attention, gets your reflection and your worship? And not just yours, but your family, those you'll be with over the next few days. Well, on on top of the jaw-dropping identity of Jesus, what we learn in Luke 1 about the coming of Jesus, it also shows us the unexpected and upside-down way that God works. You see, what we've already seen about who Jesus is, it leaves us totally unprepared for how God decides to send Jesus the true king of creation, right? Jesus doesn't come with any fanfare proclaimed to to just the elite classes of society. Jesus isn't born in a palace. Jesus isn't born to a royal family. Instead, God comes to a young teenager. She's still a girl by our standards today. Mary is most likely between 12 and 15 years old when the angel Gabriel approaches her. She's from Nazareth, which is a small village full of farmers. The the population is probably 500 max, probably less than that. And so, so Mary has humble roots. She's engaged to be married, but she's never been with a man. And this young, single, teenage girl is told she's going to become pregnant with God's son through the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Whatever story Mary tells people about how she got pregnant, we know what people are going to think. They're going to look at Mary and think shame. They're going to look at Mary and think scandal. Everything about how God sends his son is unexpected and upside down. God uses the lowly and the humble instead of the royal and the proud. God works in in ways that have no concern for for bank account, for for status, for external reputation. God shows grace and favor to someone who would so often and so easily be overlooked. And here's what all of this means. Here's what we learn as we see this unexpected and upside-down way that God works what seems unexpected and upside down to us, that's just how God does things. That's just the way he usually works. Throughout the scriptures, God uses people we would least expect, and he uses them in magnificent ways. He shows grace to people who have blown it majorly. He opposes the proud. He shows favor to the humble. And realizing that this is how God works, that that he works in unexpected and upside-down ways, that should absolutely change how we we consider the ways God is working in our lives right now, how how God is working in your life today, this year, what he maybe will do in 2019. You see, some of you are waiting for God to, to work in the ways you've been expecting. 
Some of you are waiting for God to answer the prayers you've been praying for, the, the specific things you've been asking for. And it's great that we serve a Heavenly Father we can ask specifically from. But when we're only looking for the ways we expect God to work, our eyes are maybe blind to all of the ways God is working around us in the ways we wouldn't expect, the ways we would otherwise overlook. Some of you are waiting for God to improve your circumstances, and you're missing how God is at work in your circumstances. You want God to do something for you, and you don't see what he's doing in you in this process. Let's learn from how God comes in the person of Jesus. The way God works is often unexpected, and it usually seems upside down to how we would do things. When we talk about Christmas, we, we talk about the jaw-dropping identity of Jesus. When we talk about how God works in unexpected and upside-down ways. And then third, as we talk about Christmas, we see this invitation to respond. I was at Panera for lunch a few weeks ago with someone, and we got there right around noon. And, and the Panera we were at, it was December, close to a whole bunch of retail. Panera was packed, right? So we ordered our food, got our lunch, ate it. And when we were finishing up, you guys know how, how Panera works. You clear your own table. So we bring all of our plates and bowls and stuff like that over to this station where you separate the, the silverware from the trash, from the plates, from the bowls, from the cups, from everything else. And since it was so busy there, the Panera had just been busy enough. I hadn't, hadn't really had a chance to, to keep that uh, kind of bus station the, the, clean, the trash station, whatever it's called, uh, picked up and cleaned. So, so, like, plates were stacked up, like, dangerously high, right? I mean, they're, they're leaning one direction, so you kind of very gingerly place your plate on top of it, and you're like, I hope it's not me. I hope it's not me. I hope it's, right? I mean, just because you know what's going to happen. And so, so we clear our stuff and say goodbye, and, and I'm walking out the door when, when I hear somebody must not have placed their plate on top of the pile as gingerly as I did. Because there's just this huge crash, right? And so half of this stack of plates comes crashing down, and there's broken plates, and it's just a mess, right? I mean, everybody in the restaurant heard the crash. Everyone knew something had happened. I think everyone, like, turned around, and the, the lady who was, you just see him turn red, embarrassed look, right? Starts picking it up. Four or five people get right up from their tables in the close proximity, help this lady start cleaning up the, the mess that had happened. But everyone else just went back about their business, including me. I was already late for what I was going to next. So I'm already one foot out the door. So I'm just like, okay, I'm going to, I just need to go. So I kept rushing out. And, and it's funny, the, the, the whole drive back to the church building that day, I'm like, I wish I would have responded differently. I knew about it, right? I mean, it was just seriously four feet away from me. I was in proximity. It, it wouldn't have taken me that much effort to, to stoop down and help this lady pick up this mess of plates that was Panera floor at that point. But, but I didn't. A few people did, but, but I wish I would have at least offered, or I wish I would have helped stabilize the plate somehow a little bit. But, but instead, I missed it. I didn't respond the way that I knew I should have. So my question for us is, what does the right response to what we've been seeing today from Luke 1 look like? How do we make sure we don't rush, rush past it or miss it 
or figure that it's for somebody else to take care of. How do we engage ourselves in what we've learned about how Jesus works, about, about who he is and his coming to the world? Luke tells us what a right response looks like. He spends a lot of time, more than any other gospel, recording how Mary responds to what she's told here. And so in Mary's example, we see what a right response to the truth of Christmas looks like for every one of us here today. We see the response of thoughtful belief. When Mary hears this news that, that she's going to give birth to God's Son, I am sure that it catches her off guard, right? We, we know that when, when the angel approaches her the way that he does, it catches her off guard. But, but as soon as Mary starts to collect herself, she doesn't just respond with blind faith. Instead, her first response is to, is to think deeply and to ask questions. Verse 29, it says that Mary is greatly troubled and she wonders, right, about this, about this thing that the angel had said. That word wonder in verse 29 is actually probably not the, the best translation of that Greek word. Instead, a, a much better, more accurate translation is to, is to think deeply. This is actually a word that, that accountants of the time used when they were kind of tallying numbers. The, the word wonder here has, has deeply rational, um, has a deeply rational meaning behind it. And so what this shows is that Mary gives what the angel says. She gives it her best thinking. And then she follows where that careful thinking leads. She believes. As incredible and as out there as the angel's message is, she believes. We see this later when Elizabeth, speaking of Mary, when Elizabeth says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And so in the same way, today, right now, this message of Christmas, it invites our thoughtful belief. We're invited to, keep, to, to think carefully and deeply about everything wrapped up in Jesus coming to earth. And so you, you hear us say this all the time, so, so dig in, ask your questions. We encourage people to look closely at something as important as who we place our faith in for eternity. <laughs> dig in, ask those questions, and then follow your careful thinking where it leads. As incredible and out there as the message of Christmas is, it's true. Allow the possibility of belief. And then we see how belief takes shape in the next response of willing surrender. No verse captures this better than verse 38, where after being told everything that she's told by Gabriel, here's where Mary eventually lands. She says, she says let it be to me according to your word. Mary knows she's unqualified. She's 13 years old, 14 years old. She, she's, she's certainly smart enough to know that her pregnancy is going to be whispered about and it's going to bring accusations of scandal. She, she's old enough to understand all of that. But that doesn't keep Mary from responding the right way to God's work. Let it be to me according to your word. That is a picture of faith. That's the picture of faith I want to pursue and, and model in my own life. Willing surrender. 
While I was studying this week, I ran across this quote that really helps me understand what willing surrender looks like. Here's what, here's what this quote says. Becoming a Christian isn't like signing up for a gym. Christianity is not another vendor supplying spiritual services that you engage as long as it meets your needs at a reasonable cost. Christian faith is not a negotiation, but a surrender. It means to take your hands off of your life. Do you hear that? Christian faith is not a negotiation. Christian faith is a surrender. But it's the best kind of surrender possible, where we surrender our sinful selves to a sovereign and good God who has our best interests in mind. And the message of Christmas, it keeps inviting the same sort of surrender today. See, God is so good that he sent his son to earth as a baby. But then Jesus didn't stay a baby. Jesus grew to be a man. And he eventually became a man that would go to die the most painful, shameful death possible. Death on a cross for our sins so we could be right with God. And then with all of the assurance and the meaning and the purpose and the hope and everything else that that offers. And, and so the way we receive this is just like Mary. Let it be to us according to your word. We, we open up our hands and we willingly surrender to this sort of God and Savior, who Jesus is. This willing surrender, it starts with a posture of the heart, and it can be communicated with, with words as simple as what I'm going to say here in just a second. I mean, you can, you can say these words just, just between you and God, right there in your seat right now, words like this, where you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need to be saved, and I trust that Jesus has saved me through his work on the cross, dying on the cross for me. You can say, Jesus, I follow you as my Savior and my Lord. I surrender to you. And so this posture of willing surrender, it's how we begin the Christian life, but this same posture of willing surrender is how we continue the Christian life. It's not just a one-and-done thing. You don't move past it. You move further into it. And so even, of, even for those of us that, 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 that surrendered our lives to Jesus a long time ago, our posture is still the same as Mary's. Just open our hands and say, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Willing surrender. So we respond to the message of Christmas with, with thoughtful belief, with willing surrender, and then with wonder and with worship. This is where Mary ends up in verses 46 to 56, in this song called the Magnificat, right? Johann Sebastian Bach wrote songs about it. I think people have been talking about this section of Scripture, just how magnificent it is for thousands of years. Mary's song here in these verses is full of praise, praise to God for how he acts for his people. God is the subject of every verb in this passage except for two verses. So, so this, this song is 100% God-centered. And because of everything Mary's learned about, about who God is and how he's working, who her son will be, her natural response is to praise God with wonder and with worship. Mary's response here, it shows us how we should respond to Christmas, but not just around this time of year, every time of year, 
how we respond to Jesus, to the best news ever announcement that God's Son has come to earth. Our reflex response should be wonder and worship, just praising God for His goodness and His grace, because that's what Christmas is all about, right? God's goodness and His grace. And so amidst everything else you've got coming up over this next week, make space for wonder and be intentional about worship. There's all sorts of ways this can look, right? I mean, maybe it's as simple and as practical as taking 20 or 30 minutes of a road trip, leave the DVD player off for a few minutes, right? I know how tough that is. I've got four boys who want to watch Star Wars. But leave the DVD player off for a few minutes and just reflect on why, as a family, as a car full of people, maybe it's just you driving somewhere, reflect on why you're thankful for Jesus. Don't miss that opportunity. Maybe it means reading through the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth again and again, just repeatedly over this next week. And you look for fresh ways you can respond to Jesus coming. You look for fresh truth that maybe hasn't stood out to you before about who the Son of God come to earth in the Virgin Mary really is. Whatever it looks like for you, don't miss the opportunity to respond to Christmas with wonder and with worship. Vince Lombardi knew that a successful football team never moves past the fundamentals. That's why he would say to his teammates, to, to the guys on his team, gentlemen, this is a football. Certain truths are so important. We always want to be keeping them in front of us. Brookside, this is Christmas. Jesus has come, and who Jesus is, his identity is jaw-dropping in the best way. God is at work, and his promises stand. The way God works isn't often the way we'd expect, but he is at work. God is pushing his promises forward, and so don't miss his activity. And then we're invited to respond. We respond with thoughtful belief with willing surrender, and with wonder and worship. Brookside, this is Christmas. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there is no better response than what we've seen from Mary to the good news, Jesus, of you coming to earth. The belief, the surrender the wonder, and the worship. Jesus, in a way that only you can through your Holy Spirit, work on our hearts, helping us find fresh wonder at the greatness of God coming to earth, ultimately to die for our sins on a cross. Jesus, work on our hearts in such a fresh way that we, that we respond with authentic and genuine worship, that Christmas isn't just something we do. It's not a few days to get through. But God, may we worship you because of everything Christmas means. Jesus, we do love you. We thank you for coming to earth as a baby. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.